Welcome to Flyover Conservative Podcast with David and Stacy Whited, where we break down current events and examine culture through the lens of conservative Christian values. A lot of things happening around us. We're headed towards a presidential election, and uh, what's what's uh, in primaries? What's what's theater, and what's what's real? Uh, pretty much everything you see on screen is typically it is scripted. There's actors, there's, there's agendas. I always like to say the expression, there's always a thing behind the thing. You know, you see McDonald's and it's obviously it's a, it's a cheeseburger company. You ask most people, what do they do? Well, they sell cheeseburgers. What McDonald's really does is they're a real estate company that makes more from real estate than they do from cheeseburgers. They own the land that every single location is on. And no matter, no matter how well your franchise does, you may own the building, but you'll never own the dirt underneath. And you're going to pay McDonald's for that land forever. So like McDonald's, the thing behind the thing is they're a real estate company. They own some of the most valuable intersections and and uh, uh, real estate in the world. Um, they own more land than the Catholic Church. And so uh, there's always a thing behind the thing. And so in order to know that thing, there's there's you need somebody that that researches that actually does a lot of work in private. So when they come into a public setting, it's like, hey, I know what's going on here, there, and yonder, and kind of understands the thing behind the thing. One advantage we've had over the last couple of years of running this podcast is is at live events, you get to meet other speakers. And you hear them discuss a topic and break things down. And you're like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know that. And that's an interesting component. And you kind of start you know, accumulating people that you really rely on uh, to do the hard work. I love people with an athletic background. I like people that have that know what it's like to try something and you're good, but you know you work harder, you can get better. That's what sports does. And so, so these kind of personalities, you kind of develop a palette for like what do what do you like, who do you trust, and where do you turn? Uh, today's guest is somebody that Clay Clark refers to as probably one of the brightest minds and researchers in our space today. And uh, I'm looking forward to just having a great conversation with Ms. Courtney Turner. Hello. Courtney, what is up? It's good to have you. We just saw you in in uh, uh, a couple of places and you've been doing some speaking and uh, you get to, you get to show up at the reawaken event time, from time to time and you're based in in Nashville, Tennessee, so kind of as it works into your schedule, but I'm really glad you took a few minutes here to to jump on with me today and and let's just kick it around and kind of see where it goes. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing hearing your thoughts. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I loved uh, getting to talk to you. We did like a short one back in, was it Miami, I believe? Yeah, right after I spoke. Yes, just off stage. And it's one of those like you get done and you're like, Okay, we need you know more of that. You know, uh, you know where there's there's just there's there's not a lot of people. Um, I use the example a lot when I do my conspiracy conversation shows on Saturdays. You know, I'll, I'll hold up on a Rubik's cube, and you can see on a Rubik's cube, it's like you know people go through their whole life thinking maybe it's green, and it's it's not that they're wrong. Like a Rubik's cube for sure, it's got a green side, and that's you know your uncle may think they're green, and you know and your cousin may think they're red, you know, but but you know even a, a short conversation with you, you kind of come in and you're like, yeah, I mean, it's not that that's wrong. It's just short-sighted. <laughs> and you kind of rotate the Rubik's Cube. And it's like, oh my gosh, they're blue. I had no idea. I didn't know about the blue. And that's kind of what what you you bring to the table. Where did that part come from? Are you like one of these like uh, like real annoying, inquisitive kids that's like, why, why, why? How come? Why? What about that? What's, what's going on? Did you start out that way? That's so funny. Well, actually... Uh- so two things. One, I loved Rubik's Cube as a kid. It was like one of my favorite things to do. Um, and two, yeah, my mom called me the YYY kid. And it's really funny because I think I tweeted this pretty recently, actually. I said that I find it – it dawned on me, actually, in the middle of a podcast. I was like, the thing that made me the most annoying to my parents is what I ended up doing, like, for a career. <laughs> I ended up being the person that asked lots of questions. But, yeah, I drove my mom bonkers. She actually – I remember one year she got me – this present it was like a snoopy's answers to the why questions okay. um, because she was like I-, I can't really answer all these questions so i'm gonna get a set of books that maybe can answer some of these questions for you and my favorite one was the snoopy answer to the astronomy why questions you know i think kids all hit hit the planet with that hardwired in them like geese fly south so. in the winter they just they know to ask why because everything's a mystery and then you know yeah. i think i think the school system does a lot to kind of squash that because Either you know it's not rewarded, or you're, you're surrounded by adults that don't know. They quit questioning, you know. But we we all start well, out that way, and somehow it gets kind of beaten out or something. I don't know how that works. So this is 
This is very, very true. So they actually did a study. It turned out that it was a study for NASA. But when they did the, conducted the study, people didn't know that. And what they found was that 2% of all children, it was uh, under the ages of uh, 12, were all qualified for the requirements to be a genius. And then they did this study incrementally every five years, and it decreased until it became uh, – sorry, no, it was uh, 98% of all uh, children were wow. geniuses. Yeah, only 2% were not. And then they kept doing this every uh, five years incrementally, and they would decrease in percentage until adulthood were only 2% qualified for genius. And this is a result of the education system. So we in the United States have what's uh, what was exported here was the Prussian three-tier model of education. And uh, a lot of people start with, you know, John Dewey, and he was very, very instrumental. However, this really goes all the way back to the Battle of Jena, which was in 1806. Um, and in okay. 1807, they lost and... Uh, they realized that they lost because these soldiers rebelled and they determined that they rebelled because they were critical thinkers and they decided they had to eviscerate critical thinking and they wanted to breed mindless, obedient soldiers. And wow. it was through a series. Yeah. So they created this three tier Prussian model of education uh, that was designed to breed obedience and compliance. And it was really exported to the United States through uh, the Leipzig connection. So Wilhelm Wundt, who, interestingly enough, was a descendant of Kirschenrat, uh, Casimir, uh, something, Bunt. And his code name in the Illuminati was Raphael. And you can actually look that up. That is really? verifiable. And, uh, he, uh, start, he was, the, he started the PhD program. And uh, he himself had no credentials, no uh, formal education or training, but he was known as the father of psychology. And uh, he taught at Leipzig University and some of his, uh, students were a very recognizable name, people like Pavlov, people like Stanley G. Hall. Stanley G. Hall was a mentor to John Dewey. Um, then, of course, he was also a mentor, uh, Wilhelm Wundt was also a mentor to who was known as the American father of psychology, known as William James. And uh, uh. he was the first PhD student, and he created the PhD program. And uh, But John Dewey, who was a disciple of, John, of Stanley G. Hall, uh, did bring this uh, Prussian model of education to the United States. And, uh, you know, we, we could say a lot more about that, but it would be a pretty long-winded. But John Taylor Gatto um, and Isabitten, uh, Charlotte Isabitten, who was uh, under the Reagan administration, her father was Skull and Bones. So she had a lot of inside information, and mm. uh, she was very instrumental in Anthony Sutton's book. Uh, he wrote The Order of Skull and Bones, and uh, he talks about the – the, the orders initiative to dumb down America and export the system to the United States. So it, it, it so, certainly yeah. seems, it seems like it, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I, I, tell me if I've got this right, John Dewey, who was kind of famous, we know the Dewey decimal system and so forth, but didn't he, did the author or bring in, um, uh, the, the humanist, um, yeah, uh, he co-authored humanist manifesto manifesto. When was that? The like humanist the, manifesto. Is it like 1930, something like that? It was before the Communist Manifesto by a couple of years. Well, it was 1933 was the Humanist Manifesto, and that was actually uh, an operation okay. under uh, Tavistock Institute of Human Relations. Um, so the Communist Manifesto way predates that. But very interestingly enough, there's actually ties to the Illuminati again um, because the Illuminati officially got shut down, you know, in the, the mid-1800s, and there, was an, there were several offshoots. So one of the offshoots was known as the League of the Just, or League of Just Men would be a more direct translation. Okay. And, of course, who was it helmed by? It was helmed by Engels and Marx. And then from there, uh, they had the League of the Outlaws. And from there, they – sorry, it was the League of the Outlaws, then the League of the Just. That was the order of it. And then because they had to keep rebranding and renaming. And then from there, there was the Communist League. And the Communist League was helmed by Engels. And Engels took a combination of uh, – in order they, to write this manifesto for them, he took a combination of Weissop's uh, Illuminati Manifesto and uh, Clinton Roosevelt's book, which was uh, the uh, what was the uh, the science of government founded on natural law, and it was a combination, a compilation of those two. Essentially, he was kind of accused of being okay. a plagiarist, actually, 
that made up this, it would comprise this communist manifesto for the Communist League. They actually did not put Marx's name on it initially. They did a major publicity campaign for Marx, had him write, commissioned him to write all sorts of pamphlets and articles, uh, you know, on various topics and and then a few years later, they put Karl Marx's name on it. And what's interesting about it, so the Communist Elite, the uh, Communist Party, right, they actually merged with the Democrat Party in the United States in 1919. Um, the Communist Manifesto, which, of course, I think it was 1848, it much precedes that. Um, but the Communist Manifesto was renounced by Marx because he thought of himself as an economist and he wrote Das Kapital later. And what was very interesting is it was very much revived after the Bolshevik Revolution um, because Lenin was very concerned that, that this revolution did not spread throughout the West like Karl Marx promised that it would. And so he actually called a meeting between, um, who is it? It was Antonio Gramsci, uh, Willie Munzenberg, who, you know, uh, I know the, the title often goes to Edward Bernays, but he was very much also a father okay. of propaganda and uh, PR. And uh, Georgi Lukash. And he was asking, so why is it not spreading through the West? What do we do? And it was Antonio Gramsci who said uh, that, and very much in the vein of the Communist Manifesto, he said that the problem is that you're treating this as an economic revolution. It needs to be an infiltration through the culture. You have to, because as long as people, uh, you know, are still entrenched in their cultural values, this economic revolution will have no hold. And, of course, what did they do from there? They set up shop at, in Frankfurt, Germany. They started the Frankfurt School. And yes. then, of course, from there, they went to Columbia University. They started the Institute for Social Research. And then they set up shop all over the United States. So wow. that's the very Cliff Notes version. But, yeah. <laughs> Man, you just rattled that off quick. There's like a, a hundred little places we could just camp out and set up a base camp, <laughs> you know, for the day. And it's phenomenal. I, I, that's why it's it's, it, it, it's so refreshing to speak with somebody that, that knows so much on this because – it helps make things that are going on around us that seem natural or and organic, you know, but you, yeah. you instinctively know, like, I don't think this is natural and organic. Um, <laughs> you, like, no. you know that, uh. but you see it happening everywhere. So it's like, who's doing this? It's almost like being blindfolded and people punching you or something. You're, you're like, who, who is doing this? And when you see these um, things in our school and so forth, let, let's back up with one question there. Um, yeah. With, and, and this, we've even got to, you know, the stuff we're going to get to, and maybe we will, maybe yes, we, we won't. That, that's a total great thing because people are going to learn a lot we from can. this and, totally and enjoy can. it. Um, with the education system, they're injecting these philosophies into it. But um, you said the purpose for it not spreading like they hoped is because they were treating it just economically. So most Marxism was like the rich against the poor. It was like your life right. stinks because these, these rich guys have it. When you see it in America, it's this Marxist color revolution type of, of movement, but it's, it's, it's everything against everything. It's not rich against the poor. Like a lot of the past revolutions, it's, it's, you know, um, educated versus less educated. It's men versus women with the feminist movement. It's it's uh, mm-hmm. gay and straight and mask and not mask. And it's like they they create as many barriers there as humanly possible in the United States. Is 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 that the shift that they thought needed to happen? So that was largely a byproduct of the Frankfurt School. So the Frankfurt School created uh they they coined the term F Haven de culture. The translation for that would be cancel culture. I don't know that that really. Yeah. So, so that's not new. This very, didn't come out like uh, in the last new. three years. Wow. Yeah, not new at all. And Af Haven is a very interesting word. I actually mentioned it in the speech that I gave in Miami. Um, so Af Haven is interesting because it's an oxymoronic term, but the translation from the German would be to lift up and preserve while simultaneously tearing down and canceling. And so it, it has this very hmm. uh, oxymoronic kind of uh connotation. But that is what happens when you have a haven de culture. And what they did with the Frankfurt School is they created what is today known as identity politics. But it was really this notion of group identity, because it is much easier to have people fight each other in groups and create factions than it is when people have strong individual identity. 
So this is where, you know, the feminist movement was born out of, actually, it has occult roots, and it was really uh, put into full effect through the Fabians. The Fabians are who funded the feminist revolution, Uh, you know, the women's liberation movement. um, And the whole purpose of it was, again, because what are the biggest factions that you could create is male versus female. And how is what is the most successful way to divide society and break up family? And also to advance the eugenics movement, right? How are we going to, if you subscribe to a Malthusian worldview, uh, if women are very busy out in the workforce and uh, their fight, they think men are the enemy, the evil patriarchy, they're much less likely or, or they're more likely to at the very least delay childbearing, right? Uh, if not at completely forego it altogether because you know, they're told they don't need a man, they need a career. And so this is a great way to deal with the problem of, uh, you know, the Malthusian view that we have limited resources, and therefore we need to depopulate the the planet and then control the rest. Um, but they, the Frankfurt School was very instrumental in creating all of these different factions. Um, you know, like one of the things they did, and uh, this is uh, not to... I. Uh, I, my family happens to be Jewish, so this is not to, uh, you know, say that the Holocaust wasn't a horrific thing and that we, we definitely should not condone it. And unfortunately, they're recreating it in many different types of ways. Um, but one of the things they did was they attached Jew identity to the Holocaust, which is so incredibly insulting. And it's vi- what does it do? The result of that is it creates victims. And this is what all of the identity politics do. The, the more modern iteration of that was the critical race theory. Right. With it. So blacks are now their identity is wrapped up in slavery. Now, were some black slaves in this country? Yes. And is that a terrible thing? Of course. Nobody's condoning slavery, especially not in this day and age. However, to reduce someone's skin color and attach their entire identity to the fact that their ancestors may or may not have been slaves. There are lots of blacks whose ancestors weren't. It's incredibly insulting, and the whole purpose of it is to create victimhood because what you get exactly what you talked about is this othering. And this is also a Maoist tactic. So, of course, what we see in America is very much a hybrid of, uh, you know, uh, German philosophy and Maoist strategy uh, to create this othering. With Mao, it was like the Red Guard, and, it, you know, you were either part of the Red Class or the other, um, and it was a way of creating this type. And it, it, none of it's new. We, we saw this in... Uh, you know, Ukraine with the, the kulaks, uh, the bread uh-huh. basket of Ukraine. And this is what they, they shamed them essentially into starvation, which killed millions of people. Um, so it's an incredibly pernicious philosophy, incredibly dangerous. And unfortunately, we have it on steroids today. Uh, but this is why I talked about, you know, my speech was about the compassion trap, because I think part of the ways that they achieve this is to create false compassion traps because it's essentially when you get, got all of these various different groups and these different um, identity group identities, you end up having like a Gnostic leader for this group. And, you know, they end up being the mama bears to protect that group. And compassion is typically a more female trait. Not that men don't have compassion. You know, men definitely have compassion. But there's a reason why it is much stronger for women. And this is biological. It is to protect their offspring. So uh, women tend to be very in tune because part of compassion is empathy. And people can definitely relate to that. However, the other component of compassion is the desire to alleviate another person's suffering. So it's not just relating to that suffering, but it's actually wanting to remove it. And of course, you want to do that for your offspring and mothers are very in tune with that. However, what happens when you become like a threat to their offspring? They're not compassionate to you. They become vicious mama bears. And that's what happens with these Gnostic leaders of each of these groups. And so they're very uh, protective of their group, and they will do anything to fight anybody outside of that group. So now you have these okay. people who are fighting each other, whereas if you had individuals, it's very hard to look some of the eye, no matter how much you may dislike their behavior, you may disagree with them, and not see the humanity in that person. So it is much harder to really feel like enough hate for that person where you're willing to continue to fight them to the destruction of both of you. Um, but it's much easier when, it, when it's focused towards a group versus an individual, it's easier to have, it's easier to have hate towards a group than it would be to hate this person. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a, a, and then, a, makes sense. Exactly. And then they take it a step further and they, you know, create all of these dialectics. So when you talk about the othering, 
Um, so, so they, uh, so what I'm saying about the compassion is, so they they create these narratives for you to, you know, feel like you're doing, you're you're being compassionate, but ultimately it ends up being really destructive. And these are false dialectics. And so we have a lot. Of, so the dialectic is uh, like the Hegelian dialectic. We have a. Uh, uh, he he thought of it as being uh, abstract and then negative. The negative was Afhaven, that uh, German term again, and then the uh, and and then abstract. So uh, sorry, then and then concrete. So abstract, negative, concrete, and the concrete was the concretization, which often we think of as synthesis. Uh, synthesis literally being like synthetic. It is the hybrid of two things that are not, uh, you know, so, that are so not organic. Break that down. You're talking, you're talking about Heigl. Correct. Um, mm-hmm. So, to, to explain to me, to, to, you know, a little more context for him, and then those sure. three, those three phases, real quick. So, Marx was very much influenced by Hegel. That's why it's okay. important to have that context. Yeah, we need like a whiteboard to flowchart here with some of this. You need like Sorry, one, of those Glenn, those, one of those Glenn Beck talks with the, he's got the chalkboard out, you know, and to, to, to break down break down the org chart of how how we got here. How we got here? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we do. Uh, he was uh, so. The, I, I bring up the dialectic because what we see is we, we I, I think even, and we were going to talk about, you know, some of the political candidates. Yeah. And, uh, this is a part of why I, you know, I say a lot of it's theater is because yes. even with, I started my, my uh, podcast, I used to say that the Republican Party has become a controlled opposition to the left. However, as I have learned more over the past few years, I realized, no, they were created to be controlled opposition to the left. And if you look back and read, actually, uh, Washington really warned us about this. He yes. warned about the two-party system. And it is my estimation that he was watching, you know, the French Revolution, which is where we get this notion of left-right parties. Uh, this actually came out of the French Revolution where they were sitting. Um, but it, I think it's also because he watched the infiltration of the Illuminati in the Masons. And they were using Hegelian dialectics in order to pit them against each other. Um, wow. And that, you know, they were familiar with Hegel. Uh, Weishaupt talks about Hegel as being a, a great leader and a brilliant thinker, a brilliant mind. So he was definitely familiar with Hegel. They were familiar with each other. Uh, John uh, Gottlieb Ficke was a very high level Freemason. I have not confirmed if he was Illuminati or not, but he was definitely familiar with this, you know, types of th- thinking, these this group of people. Uh, I, I would count I would put him in a counter enlightenment type of uh, uh, philosophical framework. And uh, Hegel was very influenced by John Gottlieb Ficke. Ficke was the one who took the very common uh in terminology for the the dialectic is thesis antithesis synthesis. It was okay. Ficke who interpreted uh, Immanuel Kant's notion of dialectic into that phraseology. It was actually never Hegel. Hegel didn't like Kant or Plato's notion of dialectic because he felt that it was too intellectual. It was okay. too. Uh, it couldn't be used systematically as a methodology. He wanted something like a scientific method. Um, and I mean that in the literal sense, not scientism, what it's become. He wanted something that was a methodology for advancing the historicity of man. And, of course, he, he was thinking that that advances towards an omega point, which for him, uh, God equaled the state. So he worshipped the state as if it were God. Uh, okay. And I think all these concepts are really important for people to understand. Just yeah. This is where we are today with, you know, the term New World Order was, I mean, Wilson talked about the New World Order. Yeah. Wilson was being advised by Tavistock. Uh, back when it was the British Propaganda Bureau, uh, they actually sent the Creole Commission to advise Woodrow Wilson uh, on engaging the the American public to support engaging in World War One. He ran on the, the the platform that he would not engage in the First World War, and they they convinced him to engage the pop the the populace into not only engaging in World War One but siding with the British. Uh, and it was literally called the British Propaganda Bureau. That's what it was called. So, I mean, wow. he, but I, I bring this up to say that, you know, this is not a new term, but now they call it the Great Reset. It's gone through many iterations. You know, the Fabian Socialists called it an international socialist world order. Uh, it's had many names. But the, the reason it's important is because what they're talking about is this, you know, worldwide centralized governing body uh, that's going to have a centralized world uh, religion, centralized governance. It's going to have everything. The, really, what they want is that to be 
uh, an AI god, and I, I, I don't say that as a speculation. They, they have talked the UN uh, centennial, which is imagining the year a hundred years after the anniversary of the UN creation, which is going to be 2045, and they talk about uh, the AI world society. They had a symposium on it being in Ukraine. Ukraine is going to be the hub that connects to all of these other smart city grids. And they talk about how Ukraine's been decimated by the war and we need to send all this money to Ukraine to rebuild Ukraine. But what do they want to rebuild it for? They want to build this AI world society. So literally put us in like the metaverse. Um, but yeah, so that's that's where all this points so, so to. So we, these we, ancient philosophies are... They, they play a role today and these people keep running with them. And, you know, there's probably even a, you know, an, an element if you want to even like, you know, depend on your, your language for it, but like, you know, demonic entities that, that just kind of outlive humans and, and keep right. perpetuating those same things that then we sort of become the, the avatars for, you know, that, that we're sort of moving those things forward as we go along these things that seem organic, but they're not one thing that somebody pointed out to me, you know, a while back, um, you're talking about this identity issue, you know, right now and the, and the race tension that that's been created. You mentioned earlier about wrapping identities to a negative. Um, Jet Magazine puts out a person of the year every year, African-American publication, person of the year. But they've never had a Supreme Court justice. You know, Clarence Thomas was never the man of the year. Thomas Sowell, one of the most brilliant economists of all time, wasn't there. Ben Carson, okay. Ben Carson separates, yeah. conjoined twins, one of the most brightest you know, brains in the entire planet, was never their person of the year. Um, it, it, it's an interesting thing that there's a, it, 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 so you look at that, it's like, is that organic? They had a vote and are like, ah, this, we're going to do what we're going with this rapper instead. Um, you know, that, that, that celebrates, you know, uh, abusing women and drugs. And, and it's like, let's go with that and, 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 right. and, and, and worship that person and not bring attention to Thomas Sowell or, you know, another, any other kind of, you know, Carol Swain or somebody that's just like, you know, doing amazing work. Yeah. Um, but that's not organic, is it? That's not natural. That is, and even even on that level, that's an agenda. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and there's so many of them. Uh, I mean, there's really, it's interesting, you know, a lot of people are very familiar with Eisenhower's speech where he talks about uh, the military-industrial complex. Yeah. However, what he actually said was the congressional uh, military-industrial complex. So, that very much largely implicates the United States of America. It is a consortium. So people often, you know, they want to point the finger at like one intelligence agency, but really it's part of a very large apparatus that works in conjunction with, you know, they call it the five eyes. So you've got the yeah. MI5, you've got, you know, uh, Mossad, you've got, uh, of course, just the British, all the British intelligence in general, who I think are really at the helm of a lot of it. Uh, but then, of course, you know, all the di different agencies we have, it goes way beyond the CIA these days. You know, we've got the NSA, we've got DARPA, we've got, uh, you know, all the offshoots for DARPA, BARDA, Defense Threat Re Reduction Agency. Uh, we have, uh, yeah, it just goes on do you think, and on. Do you the think FBI Donald Trump point. poses a, a threat to to those entities? Is that because you look at like, okay, he was Russia, Russia, Russia. That was a problem. He's a He's an asset of Putin himself. And then, and then now they're like, well, he said this this building is this house had five bedrooms and it's got four, you know. So now, like his worst crime is uh, overinflating his real estate values. Like nobody does that when they're getting a loan, uh, right. <laughs> you, you know. And so they're going after him for no no harm, no foul crimes, anything to come against. Like, but but don't you get the feeling that if he were to step down tomorrow, he could probably have a reality show again, and like Hollywood would love him, and they would just like they have no moral compass, they would just move on. You know, it'd be like, you know, if, if he if he was not poking those all of those entities that you just mentioned and threatening their survival, you know, you know, a wounded animal in a corner is very dangerous. And he he presents the danger to them. Do you do you think that that otherwise there's not a whole lot of like natural reason for someone like my cousin to be looking at it like they, there sure seems to be a lot of negative press around Donald Trump. He must be the worst president ever. Uh, he must be this awful human. Like that's why that's why all of these apparatuses are aimed at him. Is that is is that connection? I, is I that think he true? definitely poses a, a big threat to um, you know the uh, really the kind of uh, 
I call them the parasite class, you know, but the, the oligarchical cabal. Um, but I think he does. I think that largely, whether it's him himself or the populist movement that he's inspired and motivated, um, you know, really that he's uh, uh, mobilized, I should say. I, I think that that actually poses a greater threat than he does himself. Um, he, you know, certainly the figurehead for that. And I, I think, you know, he de certainly de deserves some credit for that. But I think really what they're most terrified of is the people learning the truth. They're afraid of people learning enough uh, real history. You know, I call it the cryptid history, the, the, the history they don't mm -hmm. teach you in school. But that's actually what actually really happened, but doesn't suit the narrative that they want you to buy. Um, and I think if enough people were really to even not just learn it, but just to ask enough questions and not just blindly, idly go along with every everything they're being spoon fed, that their existence would be in danger and their agenda would be in danger. And I think that that's what they're actually most terrified of. Uh, so certainly he is a part of that, uh, but I don't attribute it actually all to him. I think they have a lot of lever of power over him, certainly at this point. Uh, I can't believe it, it just, you know, I think Trump did a lot of great things. I certainly don't think he was, he was very far from perfect. He did a lot of things I'm not pleased with. Sure. And I, I think in some, I think there's a, we have to consider the possibility that some of the reasons that he may have done some of those things is because they do have levers of power because there are situational pressures. Yeah. Um, I think know, everybody I, kind I, of overestimated the power of the presidency, you know, used to be like, man, the president of the United States. And now it's kind of, you know, when you can have a paperweight like Joe Biden fill the, fill the role, you know, clearly, you know, there's a, you know, a stack of documents he's signing an EO. It's not like he didn't author that. He's never read it. You know, like that, that, that <laughs> no. job is, 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 would you say it's become more like more figurative, like a King or queen of England where they're just kind of your ceremonial, you know, and it, there's, um, there's, there's all this, this apparatus around them that seems to do all the thinking and pull the levers. So I always point to tragedy and hope. I don't know which way. Yeah, that way. Um, yeah, no, that way. <laughs> yeah, tragedy and hope. Um, it, by Carol Quigley, it's a tome. It's like fourteen hundred pages. Uh, he was an archivist for the CFR, and that was like a tell-all book. Essentially, they were actually very upset with him. Uh, he was very proud, and he was kind of like they were kind of like we are in secret for a reason. Why are you spilling all of our secrets? And he was, you know, the. Basically, he was like, I think what you're doing is amazing. Everyone needs to know. Uh, but he <laughs> he pretty much said that the CFR has selected our elected officials for uh, well over a century. And I think this was published in the 70s. So he wrote it really in the 60s. That's a long time ago. And he was saying a century back then. Um, and I bring this up only to illustrate the point when you're talking about presidents being figureheads. Honestly, I think they have they progressively become even less uh, effective. Uh, but I don't know that they – first of all, the Constitution was never designed for them to be, uh, you know, the almighty powerful. There's a reason right. we have three branches of government. There were supposed to be checks and balances. A lot of restrictions that, in there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, in many ways they were given the illusion of having much more power mostly to uh, to misconstrue uh, what – the way things actually work for the people. I think it was to create an optical illusion for the masses so that we had more hope and faith. In, my voice uh, is being heard. I, 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 I pulled the lever and that's my guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm exactly. represented, you know, my views are represented, you know, you got it. And so what do I think? I think with Biden, they're intentionally showcasing, uh, you know, how incompetent he is really to almost gaslight, gaslight us, throw it mm -hmm. in our faces, uh, that they are really the ones in control, they're in power. And that, of course, you know, this is like, you you fools, you fell for this. You think you're voting for this guy and you think he really runs the show. And I, I think a lot of it, I mean, the Time Magazine article pretty much said like, hey, we break the election, ha ha, and we're proud of it. We got away with it. And uh, look at you, idiots, you know? Yeah. Um, that's pretty much what it said. So... Uh, I, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but I think that's the gist. It was, that, it was it felt. just that clear. It was that clear for sure. Um, so, and, and so when you when you look at these 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 philosophies that go back that are older than our country, that mm. um, I, I think all along we know America probably couldn't be invaded from the shore. 
but we sure seem to be crumbling fast from within. And, mm-hmm. and these things that, um, you know, you've ever seen someone that maybe had a disease, maybe they had cancer, you know, and they went through treatment and remission and they're fine. And then, and then you see it then like maybe towards the end, there's such a, a decay quickly. It's like, wow, they lost a lot of weight. Wow. They, you know, it's like, it's like all of a sudden at all at once health can decline. And it's like, man, right at the end, you know, it, it, does it, it feels that way with all of our institutions. I don't know of one, uh, that I could hang my hat on. Like we're kind of a mess, but at least we have the church. Like that's, they stand for tr- like, or, or, you know, we're kind of a mess, but at least we have our education system, you know, or, or at least we're a mess, but at least we have media, you know, or le- we're a mess, but at least we have our government and politics, you know, all of these like major pillars, you know, of things. I can't think of one that I would be like, man, okay, I'm, I'm with that one. They're doing a great job. We just need more of that. If we could carry that over to the other areas, we'd be good. Like they all seem to be uh, infected with the same rot. And based on what you're saying, and obviously shows that we've done, you know, Mel Kay and many others, this has been an intentional cultural infection and a mental infection that went in, that it was injected into the bloodline of our education system, injected into the bloodline of our, of our, of our um, churches and, and injected into the bloodline of, of our uh, political system and the media structure and, you know, all the way throughout that. we've known it was there and then now it's fast. It's like the decay of a, of a, of a dying person. It's like rapid towards the end. Yeah. uh, I would add the medical industrial complex as well. Clearly literally been injected when you say injected, it's like, well, literally. Yeah. Um, So I would definitely add that. And I mean, that's tied to the same players as well. You know, you go back and look at the uh, American Cancer Association was created by the Rockefellers. Like, they're, you know, the American Medical Association created by the same people, the Carnegies. And yeah, so it's, uh, and it was too. Yeah, sorry, go on. How do we shift then from a place of, okay, people are becoming aware of this? I think that's if we're going to find a silver lining uh, over these last three years. There's, thousands more podcasts and people that are researching and telling the truth and, and they're tuning out yeah. mainstream media, you know, by the millions and, and tuning into other, other outlets. Maybe we've become more tribal and created more echo chambers than we had before. I don't know. Um, but what's the message to the listeners like flyover family? It's like, okay, they hear this and, and the, the further distance and the further in the timeline the offense is the less responsibility I have for doing anything because then I can kind of fall in that victim role. It's like, well, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. What can I do anyway? You know, um, what, how, how do you sort of like you're sliding down a mud hill? How do you grab a hold of a branch or something, you know, say, okay, maybe just for me and my family, you know, I can, right. I can break this cycle. Maybe America, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but Americans, can make different mm-hmm. choices. You know, we say on this show a lot, people wanted Donald Trump to do 80 million things to save a country. We know we need 80 million Americans doing one thing each day to save their own country. You know, so right. how do people begin to get a foothold and stop that mud hill slide and make, mm-hmm. you know, make a difference first, like in like in my life, then my marriage, then my family, then my neighbor, you know, how do I begin that process? All right. Well, I will say uh, just to, to backtrack a little bit because you did ask about Trump. And I will say this. I do think, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, I think he'll at least of the all the options we have, I think he'll help slow down some of the plans. And I think that's a good thing uh, because slowing down can lead to pivots and derailment. And we, we've seen that throughout history. So I, I do think that that is hopeful. Um, and there is a movement that they I sure right seem to now, think so. Like if, if, if conservatives don't think Trump will make much difference, you got to look at how much of a difference the left thinks he'll make. Sure. Sure. I mean, they, they're pretty I, I convinced think, he can make a difference. They are. And they, well, they paint a lot of stories, but yeah. They, they, they're um, putting the, the a lot of effort into stopping one guy for sure. Yes, that, that is for sure. So I think that I agree that that's worth noting in terms of uh, individually, I tell people to find something that you're very passionate about and get involved locally on that level. So, you know, if you're really passionate about your children's education, you don't even have to, you can go to school board meetings, but you don't even have to do that. Maybe you homeschool, you can start there. Maybe 
you help other moms in your community figure out how to homeschool their kids mm. or you do some sort of a communal pod type situation. That's huge. It really is because now you're working with the kids. You're creating a culture, an environment for them, breeding, you know, a diff- you're breeding a potential for actual education versus indoctrination. That's a huge start. Maybe if you're really passionate about farming and you have land, maybe you, you know, do some sort of a, a permaculture. Maybe you help others in the community. Maybe you trade with others or, you know, sell to others in the community. Um, you figure out what kinds of uh, policies are being uh, pushed through in your area and get very involved. So one of the things I'm doing, the senator, senator actually called me. I'm waiting to hear back when I'm going possibly Tuesday um, because I just learned last week about I, I called them NACs, but apparently people call them NACs, but it's a natural asset companies. And uh, what they're trying to do, the SEC has had a ruling where they're trying to put it up on the New York Stock Exchange. They actually extended, this is what I mean, people can make a difference. Marlow Oaks got 22 other uh, state treasurers together, and they oh. have now extended, the, they ruled on the 2nd, but they're extending the comments to uh, the 18th. And so they're obviously getting pressure. So... Mm. Uh, there, people can make a difference. So I'm the senator called me to come speak at the Capitol about this because a lot of people don't know. A lot of politicians don't know. A lot of people in the, in the Senate, he said, had no idea what a natural asset company was. This is something that's been in the works. Again, it's like you were saying things feel like they're so organic or spontaneous. This has been in the works for so long. Pelosi did a bill back at the uh, Earth Summit in 1992 that wow. l- paved the way. Yeah, that paved the way for this. The UN did something called uh, Systems uh, in- Economic Environmental Accounting Ecosystem Accounting. They call it SEE. A ecosystem accounting. And it's essentially it's just like voodoo accounting because in order to have natural assets be valued, you couldn't use what they call GAAP, which is the generally uh, accepted uh, accounting principles. Mm-hmm. None of that would work. So they had to create their own system <laughs> accounting to make this work. And 90 countries uh, are bought into this. A lot, 90 countries were already using this. This is back in 2012. We're already using these natural asset companies. However, they were waiting for the United States. Now, the Biden administration talked about putting uh, natural assets up on the, the ballot sheet in 2023, January of 2023. They created a an uh, accounting print, uh, model. Um, I forgot what it was called, uh, but they created their own uh, model for the United States. And uh, they, uh, so now the United States actually has one that aligns with the UN um, and they're, they're, wow. they're pushing forward with this. So um, I bring all this up just to say that, you know, here's something that I'm talking to people yeah. here to see if we can stop it through putting pressure on my state representative. Um, they've already pushed through something called Region Smart. It's owned by BlackRock, and that's a tri-state, essentially it's a quasi-government. Um, and, of course, it's through smart sensor technology. And uh, the, the three-state, the tri-state uh, area is uh, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Arkansas. But they're already, it was Bill uh, 27, two. I think 2176, I think, is the bill. I'd have to look that up to confirm. But it's already, they already passed a bill saying that this can go into effect and there are other tri-states that are looking to implement it. So find out if that's something, you know, going on in your area, if it's something you care about, because they're trying to scoop up all the land and they literally want to commodify the air we breathe and they're going to use uh, carbon offsets as a means of commodifying our natural resources. That so, is is coming. I, well, the more people can know, then the more aware they are. Yeah. If if you're at a Mexican restaurant and you're enjoying your chips and salsa and a margarita and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and like you don't even know, but somebody came to you and said, "Hey, one out of every three drinks uh, they spit in before they bring those to your table." You should just know that. All of a sudden, you'd be like, "Wow, okay, uh, I don't know if I want to drink any of these." You know, maybe we could test these. Maybe we need to do something different. Like I I need to know. You know, if somebody's doing something to harm me, I definitely can't be ignorant. And you definitely wouldn't say. Well, it's probably not my margarita that got spit in. I'm just going to keep drinking it and move on. You, you, you would, you, you would want to know. And it's like you know, every area of our life, there are people outside of it that are doing things that affect us. We can't be victims and just be ignorant to it anymore. People will be listening to your your show. Uh, I want them to follow you on Twitter. I want to go to your website. It's CourtneyTurner.com. 
give you the spelling. It's on the bottom of the screen, but if you're listening to this on the treadmill or somewhere else, it's C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y, Turner.com, C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y.com, CourtneyTurner.com. It's also at Courtney Turner on, on X, and that's a great place. You, you need these voices uh, in your in your in your world, she's one of them because it's not one day you're going to get it. No, she's rattled off all of these philosophers and all of these things and tied Dewey into Marx and how this all worked. That didn't happen in a day. That's a, that's a passion and a curiosity. But let her passion and curiosity, you know, be uh, sort of your hacker shortcut. You don't have to spend every hour that she's done. You just have to like just. <laughs> Just, just gobble up the the, the stuff that she prepares. Um, I, I thank you for being a guest on our show and helping this. I, I got. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this a few times because there's pieces <laughs> that I know, but tying them all together, it's gonna take some more. But this is the kind of information though that empowers us to recognize when things are happening. Like, is that naturally occurring, or is this being being uh, uh, artificially? Uh, magnified and jammed down our throats. And I think the latter is the true uh, thing most of the time. Courtney, is there another other other way to, to stay in touch with you besides your website and Twitter? Are you going to be speaking anywhere soon? Where can people find you and, and get, get another hit of this? Um, so two things. Uh, one, I just wanted to make sure that I said the right bill. It is a American Beef Labeling Act. It's a Bill 2716 is the bill that I was uh, talking about. And, uh, yeah, so where can people find me? Where am I? I might be speaking at a couple of places in uh, February in Florida, various locations, but you'll have to stay tuned on my website, CourtneyTurner.com. Uh, X is a great place. I'm also on Instagram. If you're interested in, you, you mentioned athletes in the beginning, and if you're interested, yes. I post more of my fitness stuff on Instagram at Kinetic Course. I have a show called Wim, What is Movement? Unfortunately, YouTube like hijacked it. I can't even get into it. Um, but it was centered yeah. around movement as a metaphor for life and using physical training as a, a means to overcome adversity in other areas of life. So for those wow. who are not familiar with my personal story, uh, my mom was sick in first trimester of pregnancy, and I was born with several complications. I'm blind in one eye. I'm bilaterally hearing impaired. I actually learned how to speak by reading lips. That was Kind wow. of how my podcast got started. I uh, didn't get hearing aids. So I was almost six years old. I had heart surgery. I was one year old. I was born with hypotonic limbs, fine graphic motor impairment. You were not Sunday dealt group. a good hand. But <laughs> yeah, man, you, there, you there were some challenges. Well. You've really <laughs> overcome you. that. I that's 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 great. <laughs> so I talk about movement and how movement is a really great way to teach you to overcome adversity in other areas of life. Because no matter how talented or gifted you are, you don't go to the Olympics by sitting on the couch or doing what's easy. You have to constantly challenge yourself to improve. And so that's a really great teacher. Uh, but that's at Kinetic Courts. And I do more of my, uh, I, I com combine some of the this kind of stuff on Instagram as well. But I post more of my fitness stuff there. So yeah, I'm very responsive. There's a contact page on my website. You can reach okay. out to me. And We'll put the links to that down below, cornyturner.com. And again, I'll give the spelling to you. Uh, again, C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y, turner.com. Uh, you got a brilliant mind. I'd love to have you back again because uh, it's a confusing world, and you've you've sort of sought, uh, dug through and thought through some of these complicated things in private uh, that a lot of us are I just kind of warming up to. So uh, we're definitely going to need more of this in the future. Courtney, thanks for taking some time. Thanks for stopping by. And uh, uh, good – Man, let's make it a great 2024. And uh, I think with yeah. your kind of wisdom, we have, we're equipped to do that. This is a crazy time to be alive. Well, just in our lifetime, used to be where you'd hear your grandparents talk about how cheap gas was and stuff. And it was 75 years before, 50 years you yeah. know, before. And so we've seen a lot of changes since Biden took office. $700 more a month. Than what you needed in January of 21 when he took office. You might hear these kind of things and think, oh, that's overwhelming. I can't control the government. I can't control what they're doing. I can't control the spending. But we can take care of ourselves. You want to make sure that you're buying bullion from somebody that you can trust and someone that does not charge you a commission when you go to sell. If there's going to be a commission, have it on the front end, not the back end when it skyrockets and now you're like, oh my gosh, look at this big, huge commission I got to pay because it's on the back end before I sell it. You can buy an ounce of silver for $23. So this is something everybody can get into. And if silver goes to $50, if it goes to 75, if it goes to 100, all of those profits are yours. And that's happening while 
the dollar is buying less and less at the actual grocery store. So you can go to flyovergold.com, fill out your information. When you do that, someone from Dr. Kirk's team will get a hold of you to set up a free consultation. It doesn't cost you any money whatsoever. Or to do the same thing, you can just call 720-605-3900. Hello, Flyover family. Join me every Wednesday for the Prophetic Report at 1111 Central. You can find it on Rumble. You can find it on the Flyover app. We have such an incredible time of hearing from all of these different prophetic voices like Robin Bullock, Julie Green, Barry Wunsch, Amanda Grace, and Hank Kuhneman. Every week, it's either five or six different prophets that are speaking. And what's interesting is God is speaking through them. And all of these voices come together like puzzle pieces. It is so exciting to hear what the Lord is saying. We're hearing from medical. We're hearing from military intelligence. We're hearing from the financial world. We're hearing from mainstream media. But the most important is, what is God saying? He has not fallen off the throne. He's not nervous. He's not chewing his nails. He is in control. He has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. What a great time to be alive. And I'm so excited for you to join me every Wednesday at 1111. All right, let's get our stuff together here. Hi, I'm David Whitey. <laughs> if we can skip the hi, my name's David Bird, because that's where I got to tend to derail. Hi. But I did good. See, look. First thing says, say your name. Say your name, David Whitey. Have you been wondering what to do with the spare time you have on Saturday mornings? Have I got a way for you to fill that time? Not cleaning your garage, folding your laundry, or doing something with yourself. Filling your head with worthless information about what may or may not have happened 5,000 years ago. Have you ever wondered about ancient civilizations or about chemtrails in the sky? Or have you ever had a friend at, at school talk to you about... Friend at school. <laughs> Some days when you're sitting there with your lunch pail and you're talking to your friends at school, they, they bring up your flat earth and you think it's a flat earth. I don't know if your flat earth is flat or not. I don't know. Alligators are angry because they got all those teeth and no toothbrush. And it's all true. And we talk about it every Saturday. <laughs> we talk about Rubik's Cubes and stuff. We like to have conversations with people that have made documentaries, written books. Oh, this is terrible. I can like feel myself hating watching this later. Okay, give me a swoosh. Let's do this thing for real this time. I got a show for you. <laughs> my, my, hang on, my, my eyes red now? You won't be able to tell in there. Peter can fix it. He can run it through a filter. Can he run it through the Brad Pitt filter and get rid of the, my red eyes? Oh, I'm probably doing the world a disservice. For more great content, go to flyoverconservatives.com.